0: It's, it's trying to respect each one of those cuisines and trying to balance a menu from start to finish that doesn't, um, how do you say, throw negligence or disrespect at the stuff that is naturally a part of the culture. So, and ironically, you know, Japanese, Korean and Chinese food, they actually do meld together quite well. They all sort of cross over in some way.
1: Welcome to episode 184 of Be the Drop, a weekly interview podcast sharing stories from inspirational people, helping you learn how to tell your story. I'm Amelia Veal, Director at Narrative Marketing, and firm believer in the superpower of storytelling. Success isn't something that happens overnight. It's much more long-term and comes from building knowledge and experience. Chef Adam Liston started collecting cookbooks from a young age, but it wasn't until he left high school that he started working as a cook. Surfing through the day allowed him to indulge his interest in cooking at night. And in his early 20s, he left Adelaide to pursue his culinary adventures in other states and overseas. During his travels, Adam honed his craft in Shanghai, working at the prestigious restaurant T8. Returning to his hometown, Adam is cited as lighting the Adelaide dining scene on fire when he co-opened Japanese hotspot Shibosho on Lee Street. In episode 184 of Be The Drop, Adam reflects on community and competition in the food industry and the launch of his restaurant. He talks about the importance of attention to detail and shares valuable tips on how to run a successful business. This is Adam's version of Be The Drop. Adam, thank you so much for joining me for our next episode of Be The Drop.
0: No worries. Good to be here.
1: What well, we're here. I've come you know, I'm sitting here, we've got the smoke elements happening, we've got fire going on, steam in the background. At Show, did yeah. I say that right? Show. yeah. Show. Now to get us started though, I'd like you to describe your item of significance so that we can learn a little bit more about Adam and the journey you've been on.
0: Uh, probably not one item. I'd say it's my my cookbook collection. I've been collecting books for well, ever since I was about fifteen. So yeah, they array from modern cookbooks all the way through to like old kind of nano cookbooks uh, magazines and art books and stuff and I think that's yeah probably my most prized collection.
1: And to, so you know you said starting collecting from 15 so cookbooks cooking food was obviously something that was an early passion for you.
0: Yeah definitely that was like it came from my mother and my, my two grandmothers they were both um or, all three of them were very good cooks in their own different ways. And, yeah, I was always interested in food, but I didn't obviously know I was going to be a chef.
1: Yeah, so then, you know, you you had this interest. How do you then turn that into becoming a chef and, you know, not just a chef but quite a well-renowned chef? So what what are some of the key elements for you along that journey?
0: Uh, I don't know. Like, I mean, mainly it was food to begin with. I didn't realise that I was actually going to start cooking until I finished high school. And even then when I like, decided to make that decision, it was probably based on lifestyle more than actual passion because I, you know, I got into university and decided to defer it. And then I was a surfer, so cooking was pretty easy because I could surf in the mornings and then start work at night. So, but once I'd got into that completely, it was pretty quick after that that I realized I was going to give a lot more of my time to it. Mm. Yeah.
1: And you then travelled extensively through Asia and cooked your way through Asia, you know, so to speak. Uh, how important was that in the journey that's got you to here today?
0: Um, yeah, I mean, it wasn't just Asia. I left Adelaide when I was mm, early 20s, mid-20s, and then obviously did some time in like Melbourne and Sydney and uh, Byron Bay, so that was good, and that was just good to see what different parts of the country were doing, and that like level of cooking at that uh, particular time in those areas was super high, and then, yeah, obviously the travel in Asia, I worked in Shanghai and China for two years, that was pretty full on, and then obviously while living there, I had the opportunity to travel in multiple other countries through Asia, and most of all, which I still continue to do now, is Japan.
1: Mm. And so, were there people along that journey that really helped, you know, train and and flame that passion? Pardon the pun.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah, my story's probably a bit different to the the classic, you know, young chef that worked for some sort of master chef and then there was like some mentor thing going on. Mine wasn't necessarily like that. I think a lot of mine, you know, when I was cooking in Asia, I was cooking Western food. So it was more absorbing the culture. And again, same with Japan. I never, I've never actually worked in Japan, but I, I go every year and I just get absorbed into the culture. So yeah, like, I mean, for me it's more about the experiences and then sort of trying to learn about that particular culture and figure out what it is that I want to adapt back here food-wise. Mm. Yeah, so very important. I would not be able to do the food that we do at Shiboshow if I hadn't experienced the things overseas I continue to do now.
1: So then, you know, for you is it that sort of culmination of experiences and bringing together a whole range of these lessons that's enabled you to successfully launch this restaurant?
0: Yeah, I mean, this restaurant sort of breaks a lot of rules because, yeah, the name is Japanese, but the, the cuisine actually kind of lends more to Chinese, Korean, and Japanese. There's no Southeast Asian influence here, so there's, there's no Thai, and there's no like Cambodian or Vietnamese food at all. But there is a strong influence from Korea, Japan, and China, but ironically, all three of those cultures sort of seem to get crossed over through some of the dishes. So... I guess it's part of its success. It sounds pretty risky, but I think you know most of my team are actually Asians and they come here from Korea and Japan to learn how to cook things that they semi-understand that they don't see back in their own, own countries. And I think that's why I, Shiboshi's success is from a public's point of view is that it's not like going to a traditional Japanese, Korean or Chinese restaurant. It's interesting food, but they can see the, the culture and, and, and the styles of, of culture in each part of the menu.
1: Yeah, so that rule-breaking and risk-taking has been really critical to you?
0: Yeah, I mean, I'd call it that way. I mean, it's, it's definitely been critical. I, don't look, I Well, I used to look at it that way. Now I just sort of think of it more of a, an art form. It's, it's, it's trying to respect each one of those cuisines and trying to balance a menu from start to finish that doesn't, um, how do you say, throw negligence or disrespect at the stuff that is naturally a part of the culture. Mm. So, and ironically, you know, Japanese, Korean, and Chinese food—they actually do meld together quite well. They all sort of cross over in some way. I mean, Chinese food really was the kind of the first real cuisine of Asia. And then, you know, there's a lot of dishes, especially from Japan, that uh, uh, Japanese were taken from the Chinese and then adapted into their own. So, I guess it's not really rule breaking. Everyone's been doing it for years. It's just where it's doing it on a different level now.
1: Yeah, and so, you know, do you think that doing things differently has been a part of the success? You, you've been awarded a number of prestigious awards and gained recognition in an industry that is highly competitive. You know, there, there are a lot of restaurants, you know, in and around Adelaide that are all, you know, sort of competing at the same time. So how is it, do you think, that you operate in an area that's got a lot of competition but then gain, um, you know, a point of difference?
0: Uh well, it's definitely not just the food. I mean, Shibosho Touchwood, I think its, um, it's success is, is a bunch of things. So, I mean, location, being on Lee Street, you know, at this time, you know, we've been open now for three years, and, and Lee Street and Peel Street have probably sort of really started to become like two of Adelaide's major kind of bar food streets in the last sort of you know seven or eight years. So that's a big part of it. Um, Obviously the, the staff and the atmosphere of the restaurant is another major part. Like the restaurant is very unique to Adelaide. There's not open kitchens with you know, people can sort of sit a metre and a half away from the chef cooking and, and feel the warmth from the fire. Uh, that's definitely a big part of it. And then obviously the again it goes back to the style of food that we offer. There's definitely Japanese restaurants, Thai restaurants, Chinese restaurants all throughout Adelaide, but no one is doing the type of food that we're doing. And that's a good thing, because yeah, it's, it's it's unique to us. So I think, you know, putting all those things together is probably what's helped us sort of sit in the position that we're in now.
1: Mm-hmm. And you mentioned Lee Street and the growth of Lee Street and Peel Street, and which I think it's fabulous. It is that importance of collaboration with the you know yeah. other businesses. How does that go when effectively your competitors as well as co- collaborators? Uh,
0: no, nah, like our, some of our best friends are neighbours. I mean, Lee Street... Wine room is a perfect example that when those guys come in for lunch, you know, two or three times a week, it's probably one of the first places I think of when I when I think of going for dinner on a day off. Um, and then you know, I really like bars and all that sort of thing. I mean, we all frequent the bars, and a lot of the staff from the areas, both on Peel Street and Lee, Lee Street, come in here. And yeah, I don't I don't really look at it like competition. Again, it would be competition if we, if we were sitting next to a Korean, Japanese, Chinese restaurant and they were our neighbours. But because the offering in the two streets doesn't – no one's trying to do what we're doing and we're not trying to do anything that they're doing. So as far as I'm concerned, we're just a culture all living together.
1: Yeah. And do you think that's really important, growing, you know, a sort of community around your business to help sort of main t- – like attract a greater audience?
0: Yeah. I mean the better the better the streets perform in terms of, you know, the more good businesses come, uh, the more people that come. So. Yeah, I mean, I still think that there's room on Lee Street. There's a couple of like, shops up for grabs at the moment that, you know, hopefully a good operator takes and if, if they do take them and the, the business is successful, it just adds to everyone else being successful. So, yeah, there's no – I think that theory is that old school where, you know, restaurants come in and another one opens across the road and everyone thinks that, you know, everyone's just going to move over there. It's, I don't think it's like that in this particular part of Adelaide at all.
1: And it doesn't need to be from what you're saying. Yeah,
0: no, it doesn't. There's enough people around. Yeah,
1: and so we've got Tasting Australia coming up. Yep, uh, and you're involved in that. Why do you think that's important for South Australia, you know, as a whole, to showcase the food and beverage that we have available here?
0: Well, it's definitely like the the best festival that that is a food festival that's run in Australia. I think it, you know, that's no disrespect to Melbourne Food and Wine and no disrespect to Gourmet Escape in uh, Margaret River, but I guess Tasting Australia is good for South Australia because of the fact that. There's always a really good well thought out lineup um, and that that lineup obviously consists of international interstate and local chefs um, It's a really good chance for the Adelaide public to uh, eat food from in particular those interstate chefs and overseas chefs that they wouldn't normally get the opportunity to do It's awesome for um, my staff and all the other people that are involved in tasting Australia their staff because you know these chefs and people that are involved with Tasting Australia that come from overseas and interstate also come into the restaurant. So it's great to have the opportunity to meet them and, and cook for them and talk with them. And it's just a really like, well-organized kind of oiled machine. You know, Simon Bryant's a absolute rock star and he, he's a really, really incredibly hard worker and he's had like a lot of support. Well, I've got a lot of support from him personally. Um, and the other ambassadors are all like, talented in their own right. So, yeah, for me it's just a, a really well-thought-out, fun Good, exposed food festival.
1: And on an international stage, how do you think Australia and Australia's chefs and food and beverage
0: is positioned? Uh, great, very good. Like there's still uh, a little bit of, I guess, you know, from an American side when you're looking from the other side of the world, I'm not sure... How many Americans or even Europeans like know that much about like smaller restaurants in, in Australia, obviously the big ones that win a lot of like international awards, like people know, but most of them are in sort of Melbourne and Sydney. Like as far as Adelaide goes, I'm not sure what that sort of exposure looks like, but, um, these festivals like tasting Australia when they're attracting big name chefs from Europe and America and even from Asia for that matter, it just assists us with getting on a world stage. Mm. Yeah.
1: Um, Okay, so then you know, from a col- collaborative perspective, and looking about how to work and grow, do you find that within the industry there's a real a lot of support from other chefs, and you know, from different countries, or even within Australia?
0: Yeah, I mean, we've been at Shibosho for the last well, I'd say eighteen to eighteen months to maybe even close to two years, I and mean, we we've we've sort of made a point of doing you know bringing people over from interstate to do a. You know, a collab. I think last year we did 11 months of 12, so there was 11 different chefs that came through and some of them were from, most of them were from interstate, but there was a few that were from overseas. Uh, and that, you know, from a collaborative perspective, that's really good because it's a good chance to let those chefs take over our kitchen here, and that means that, you know, for me and then the rest of the staff, we all get to learn new things because we give them the, the luxury of sort of cooking whatever they want to cook, and we assist them. We don't, we don't cook our food on those days um it's great for again customers because customers that are used to coming here and frequent here you know whether that's once a week once a month whatever it is it's a really good opportunity for them to come into the same restaurant and have something completely different so in my mind uh the collab stuff is is super good and some people look at it as being competitive or trying to steal ideas from people. I don't look at it like that at all. I think it's just a really good opportunity to learn.
1: Mm. Is that unique? It's not something I've really heard of before. So you get a you know a different chef every month. You're saying
0: people do it. I just we, and we probably went into it with the intention of maybe doing it once or twice. But the the um yeah the when we first started them, they just seemed to sort of take off. And then as we sort of progressed. And doing them, they just became easier and easier. And as they got easier and easier, I guess we got more confident with asking the right people and and different calibers of people and chefs to come in board and and do them with this. So that's where we sort of eventuated into trying the overseas market, which surprised me a lot because, you know, to market a chef or restaurant coming from overseas – for the average Adelaide punter that may not know them, I would have thought that the tickets would have been quite hard to sell and it's obviously a bit of a risk from our end because we obviously cover the expenses of bringing them over but ironically they've all been easy to sell but the international ones have been the easiest of the easy to sell.
1: Yeah, so then how do you go about that, communicating and selling tickets like that? How do you raise the profile?
0: Um, well, obviously first, touching base, it takes a bit of time to think of you know who you're going to bring over and that's... It's a difficult decision because you know a lot of chefs inclusive of myself you want to bring over someone that you know you really look up to but often those people you know they might be a bit underground and no one really know them or you know that can be difficult because from a sales perspective you, you know you can't just bring people over and not sell tickets so we have to think about that we have to think about the market and we have to also think about aligning ourselves with you know sort of food that we want to be representing in here at Show. so touching base with the right people is important and then Getting it out there, we've just got a really good like social media presence in the restaurant and then we've got a really good like office team and marketing team in our office, well head office, that, that sort of has a calculated way of, of releasing it. So there's, there's, a, there's a lot of effort and there's a lot of recipes and tools that we use to try and get it out there and, and that's why they normally kind of sell so quick. It's good. Mm. Yeah.
1: And food is a very visual um, product. So is Instagram a platform that's really popular for you?
0: Uh, yeah, like the Instagram following here is strong, and it, you're right, it's, it's probably got a lot to do with visual, you know, like people double double tap on things and follow things when they see something delicious, you know, I noticed that when the restaurant posts photos of food versus, you know, room shots or staff shots or even wine shots for that matter, you know, if we could post a photo of food, you generally get a lot more interaction than you do any of the others, so yeah, Instagram is, is a big part of it, but also, um, you know, EDMs, our database, the interaction with the customers in the actual restaurant, you know, they're also, like, super important. So I think they all interlink in some way anyway. People don't just follow things on social media and like them as much as, you know, if they have been into the restaurant and they can associate the two together. I think that's, that sort of all works as one. Mm.
1: And visually your food is, is presented in a really attractive way anyway. What what. what is the importance of presentation do you think in food
0: uh yeah it's super important ironically it's a it's a quick fix because yeah i mean visually you see it for a couple of seconds before normally you hack into it but um for us it's important like it actually blends back to the ethos of, of what we try and cook so we, we try and plate clean and simple and colorful but that also is reflecting on the way that we like to cook we don't like to overcomplicate things so we have to think about, you know, serving food that is going to be visual, which means you know, we know we get our plates handmade and we have to make sure that we design them with that potter. And then when we're thinking about the dishes, we obviously have to think about you know not overcomplicating it because the restaurant is so busy, we can't have multiple elements on a on a plate and have that consistently go out. Um and then we have to think about obviously taste, which is the most important thing anyway. So yeah. It all just interlinks. Every part of that process of the meal needs to be well thought out, and presentation is definitely one.
1: Mm. So, you're really thinking about all of that, though, from designing the plates with the potter. Um, yeah, 100%. You know, as you said, obviously, right through to taste, which is going to be the key element, isn't it?
0: Yeah, definitely. All well, a lot of thought goes into pretty much every stage. Yeah.
1: Fantastic. Well, Adam, thank you so much. In conclusion, though, could you share with me Adam's Be the Drop Tip? Your top tip? for communicating that to motivate and inspire, so communication that motivates and inspires?
0: Uh, yeah, good question. Ironically, I'd say communication is the key. So that's one thing that's been a success of, of Shibosha. We normally sit down in the mornings and have a cup of tea with my senior chefs and, and we talk about the good and the bad of the night before and we go through you know personal dramas or work dramas or whatever it is positive or negative honesty seems to somehow make people feel safe comfortable and i think being a a boss it's super important that people can actually come up to you and feel safe and, and and be able to talk to you about something if it's bothering them so yeah key to success is always having the right people around you and having the right people around you means they need to be comfortable around you
1: fantastic thank you so much
0: easy good